Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of SG Explain. Elliot, how have you been? Hey, I'm doing really good there, Rovek. You know, life's been life's been pretty chill. Today's episode has me very thirsty, though, so <laughs> I'm excited to jump right into it. Thirsty means uh, multiple different things. I'm hoping. Is it okay? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know this uh, young teenage slang anymore, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what you mean is that you are thirsty for cocktails because today's episode is about the cocktail scene in Singapore. This is a topic that I know the two of us are very passionate about. We've definitely enjoyed some hangouts over old before. You know, when I was looking at this topic and I was doing my research for it, I realized there's actually not much out there. Singapore's cocktail scene is world-renowned. So many people who come to Singapore talk so well about the fact that we have such a vibrant scene. But actually, when you do the research, it's a bit hard to trace the development and maybe even some of the characteristics that make the Singapore cocktail scene so interesting. We have a lot of prominent drinks. The scene is pretty vibrant from my understanding. So I'm very proud to have really people who are in the scene. First of all, veteran Din Hassan. Din, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ovi. Thank you, Elliot. Hello, everyone. Din started off as a bar back and rose through the ranks to become a full-fledged bartender. Uh, he's known as a founding father in the Singapore cocktail scene. He's worked in places like Katia, Coco Latte. He also was heavily involved in places like Bar Stories, Fullerton Bay, Bitters and Love. There's a lot that Din has under his belt. And currently, Din is the brand ambassador for the Island Rum Company with brands such as Black Tears Rum under it. So, Din, really proud to have you. We also have Naz on the show. Hey, hi guys. Hi, thanks for having me here. So, Naz is a younger guy in the scene. He's worked with Din before, so, you know, there's that relationship. So, Naz started his cocktail making days from the White Rabbit. He was mentored by Din over there. He moved on to Oyster Bar in Customs House as the head mixo. He's currently the head barman at Bitters and Love since June 2014. He also has a lot of awards under his belt. He was included in top 25 bartenders in Singapore in both 2014 and 2015. Nas is also working with the non-alcoholic beverage Malati with its founder, Lorraine Renata, to bring a brand new and exciting product to the non-drink drinking world. Really excited to have both of you. But I thought let's start with some history, where the cocktail scene was before what it is today, right? So then I'm very interested when you were starting out, right? So before yeah. everything, can you yeah. tell us what the cocktail scene was like? I was starting in 1997 as a full waiter, followed back with, I start, no, more than that, sorry. 1989 at Grand Park. After that, in 1992, I moved to Paulo and Ping uh, as their barback. That's where I learned a few tricks with the old bartenders. During that time, all the bartenders, basically their age is above 40. They're making a slow drinks. It's nowadays people call classic drinks. They make everything slow. They don't believe in a thing to thin shaker everything hmm. all using a three-piece shaker then before clay clay was born in 2008 before clay in year 2000 there's a lot of pub actually mm, late 90s to 2000 there's a lot of pub around Boki and Muhammad Sultan all the bartender like to hang around in Muhammad Sultan nowadays they call it dive bar but last time we call it a pub ah. bar, there's a DJ console there's pool table nowadays they make the pub sound nicer they call it a dive bar but during yeah. our time we just call it a Pub, you know? yeah. What were they drinking in those pubs? Was it just beer? Uh, it depends. Uh, some of the places, uh, if you want to work during that time, it's much more easier if you can do yourself a bourbon coke. You, see? you can make a bourbon coke, you can call your bartender the next day. But not like those Europa group, China Jam, you need to take a test to become a bartender. So mostly people drink during that time is vodka lime, gin lime, bourbon coke. Just like standard, easy mix. Standard. Vodka mm. Red Bull also haven't arrived yet. 
Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're telling me don't, don't walk the Red Bull. I don't think I, I couldn't have lived during that period of time then. 100%. That's, that's like my go-to drink, okay? Was the Singapore sling around even back then? It's been uh, around since 1915, eh? Ah, uh, yes. So, Niam Tong Boon at Raffles Hotel called it a gin sling, but it eventually became the Singapore sling. So, were people, were people drinking the Singapore sling even back then? Yes, they drink. The reason that they go to the refers, they sell average of about 1,300 Singapore sling a day. Wow. Average, wow. yes. Wow. Most of the tourists like to go down there because they steal the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why nowadays they charge the cocktail for, I think, 32 plus plus, if I'm not mistaken. Just in case someone steals the cup, then they can... Please cup. return back, yes. Ah. <laughs> it sounds like back then, the cocktail scene was... Or the drinking scene was basically either hotel bars or your boat key style pubs, right? It's just those two. There wasn't any yes. like cocktail bars. There is a cocktail bar, uh, hmm. but they normally didn't call it a cocktail bar. They call it a hotel bar or a hotel lounge. Those, they were served like a grasshopper, you know, classic drinks, straight up drinks. So you started off in the Holiday Inn as a bar back. How did you make that move to go into bartending into actually making drinks for people? Very good question. I'm allowed uh, at Holiday Inn Parkview. I'm allowed to make a mocktail. From that onward, I got a lot of interest on being a bartender. But actually, when I go to for the interview for a bartender job, I didn't get the job because I don't know what is sparkling water, what is still water. Mm-hmm. The food and beverage director gave me an opportunity to put me as bar back where there's, I learned a lot of things. When you set up for the hotel, either it's restaurant side or room division side, you will learn a lot of things because during the orientation, they will teach you a lot, a lot. For me, it's more of an accident than actually like a passion that I wanted. There was this point in time when um, I was actually working in this bar. It's called Bungee Bar. I was there for like almost a year or something. And the bartenders all got fired. <laughs> oh. Somehow. And there was no one behind the bar. Actually, like make drinks or something. So they throw me uh, behind the bar just to try out, like help them out. And at the same time as well, see whether I want to do it. I hated it because I get older. Back then, people were not as nice as now. When they train someone, it's like Gordon Ramsay in a, in a kitchen, you know. They, uh, there there's was a lot, a lot of shouting. Of shout- yeah, shouting, screaming, throwing shakers at you. Like, you know, they, they broke like a bottle of grenadine in the sink just to make sure you clean it up. Thing was not up to standard and cleaning. So I hated it, man. It was, it was torture. But at the same time as well, I think I love the adrenaline that comes along with the job. And of course, when, when we were younger, all you want to do is just talk to girls and drink. Of course, I, I yeah. totally can see the appeal there, dude. You know, we were just average guys, but just being behind the bar, I think you just earn a medal, you know, like, like you, you kind of like then that license to talk to every girl in a bar. Somehow that's like kind of like a draw. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That's, that's one of the reasons why I stayed as well. And in, in there, people are shouting and screaming your name. You know, they want to talk to you and they want to order from you. It is a bit addictive. When I, I managed Coco Latte in 2004, right? Nas yeah, we, party with me down there already. That was like the devil's bar time. So I met Dean like somewhere around that time. So oh, before yeah. 2006, so there's this interview with Vivian Pei, who's a food blogger. And she described the bar scene in Singapore as decent, but inward looking, right? Mm -hmm. So it's focused on local clientele, local bartenders. But it was only actually in 2008 with the introduction of Tippling Club, Clay, all of these different places where actually the bartending scene started to really become big. So Tippling Club was opened by Ryan Cliff and Matthew Back. Mm -hmm. It was an avant-garde bar Mm -hmm. that was in Dempsey Hill. So it's very beautiful. A lot of fun flavors, own concoctions. And then there's Clay, which was Ken Loon and Din. 
as well, right? So I, I'm very interested to hear this story. Tell tell us a bit about what was the concept behind Clay, why you guys started it. Um, actually, Clay was a 15-seating bar at Dempsey. We just want to try everything's classic or using a fresh foods because we believe that fresh foods actually can bring up more flavor towards the cocktail. There's no artificial flavor. So when we're working down there, we learn about everything basically. We learn about guest behavior, which is very, very important. But actually in clay, we only allowed to cater to 15 packs. There's no sitting. Oh. So much of the guests will get angry. They leave. So we start to open up. We only serve beer outside but no beer inside. But there's no cocktail can be served outside. That was to make sure that you could see the people drinking your cocktail? Yes, correct. Yes, we had to make sure that the quality is really, really uh, good. All our drinks is minus 5 degrees. We serve bar food, but we serve fugu and stingray. We got one electronic, you know, barbecue things. We put uh, aluminum foil. We barbecue ourselves and serve to the customer. And this was all the way back in 2008, yes, right? Correct. So very, very progressive for its time. Uh, and the cocktail that we sell there is $17 to $22. This is very, very expensive during that time. No menu. Uh, most of the bartenders, right, uh, that I know, even myself, we are very good in creating cocktails, but uh, we are very bad at naming the cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a branding, it's a branding thing. Yes. Right? So oh. every Monday, we got a Ken Loon, one of the directors, give us opportunity to do whatever cocktail that we like choose our favorite customer let the customer try if the customer love it we will put the name of the customer for the cocktails well, that's so excellent that, it's like an omakase style kind of like we're going to just try whatever cocktails and then let people you know who are regular customers or people they like and uh, just can share that moment with them that's pretty cool so down there is more straightforward cocktails there's about 20 cocktails we have only 2 with garnish another 18 without garnish we don't believe in garnish doing that. So, what does garnish do uh, sorry does uh, garnish give an extra zing Okay, it's very good. Uh, during last times, right, in 90s, right, people eat with the garnish. So once they drink, they eat with the garnish. Mm. So vodka orange, they put orange, they will eat with, uh, with the orange, no? So slowly, people start to understand actually it's uh, garnish, no, very hygienic. So people stop from eating it. Uh, people right. start to scared. I think Nas also will know the trick with people order tequila shot, what they will do with the lemon. They will recycle. Oh, yeah. whoa, <laughs> <Yes>. whoa, whoa. <laughs> I hope they don't do that anymore, man. Yeah, not... dude, that's crazy. Okay. One of the key things that you did was that you used fresh juice. Why that's such a big difference between what was being done back in the yes, day? Yes, um, there's a lot of difference because one thing is, of course, the sugar, the artificial flavor and the sugar. If you can see the menu right, right now, right, everywhere they put a simple syrup. That means simple syrup for us is standard one-to-one, -one, you see? One part of sugar, one part of water. Some of the places they put simple syrup, but they put two parts sugar, one part water, or three parts sugar, one part water. The reason is because volume. People uh, must understand simple syrup is very simple, but volume is because they are glassware. In Asia, we got a bigger type of glassware, not same like a Japanese or London or US. Their mm. martini is only they drink three sips, they will finish. But Singapore, if you put a small martini glass to the customer, customer will call you cheap. Yeah, yeah. especially if you yeah. pay twenty-two dollars, right? Yes. <laughs> so we have to understand which. Uh, at the market and the fresh food is actually really bring up the flavor so there's always a sweetness inside the citrus it, it's so interesting because these were all things that people were experimenting with playing with that really set the stage for the cocktail scene i also know that concurrently there was the introduction of japanese style drinking in singapore yes. as well so mm -hmm. this is coffee bar k that's opened in 2006. Nice. Yeah. It sounds like you were also in the scene when Clay opened up. So I didn't really understand what Dean was doing at that point in time. It wasn't popular as well. You know, people are still used to paying like $10 drinks, you know, or $12 drinks. Oh, yeah, Bacardi. Beers yeah, beers like one for one, you know. It's like nobody want to pay $17, $22. I'm, I'm laughing at Dean doing it. You know, like what? 
this cocktail is like $18. I'm not going to pay like money <laughs> for I mean, we didn't know. As people grow more mature, especially their food palate and all that, you know, even for myself, like as I got older and I I want more out of my taste bud and uh, you want to explore more of the food and the and the drinks. I mean, the drinks got to level out, right? You cannot just have really good food because we have a lot of chefs. They will not go back to drinking other stuff. When I saw my first Old Fashioned in White Rabbit, everybody's like, wow, this is like the best drink ever. And it's a simple three-ingredient drink that, you know, that like bitters, bourbon, sugar, that's it. But because of the technique and everybody has that kind of uniform way of doing it i think i think it created trust between the bartenders and, and the customers one thing that i recognize is missing from all of this is a story of flair bartender then he actually said that singapore had a lot of very very famous flair bartenders we yes. do man it's insane <laughs> yes. people yeah. won't believe it but we do it's like we have won so much flair award there's a lot of flair used to be a lot of flair bars in singapore you know the famous one is china jam those working down there is a great flavor uh, then also there's a Europa group, Planet Hollywood mm. and Celebrity Asia. Yeah. There's a lot of good uh, flavor bartenders. In Singapore, there's a two good bartenders. Uh, one is called Mamat Swali. Another one is called Mac Azman. They even go to Vegas yeah, uh, to compete as the tandem. I think they got number two or number three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, flare bartending is the most stylistic form, right? Uh, usually, what they do, they are routine when they come to work. They flare, not, not more than two minutes to prepare for drinks. Uh, after work, they get to practice somewhere. But nowadays, when you flare inside the bar, the boss will get really, really angry because it's get the breakage and a lot of people say wasting of time. So, everything has to change everything. Our friends, Shamil, he still organized a competition one year once for the flare tenders around Asia and the world to get the price money of US 10,000. And it's quite difficult right now because most of the brand's owner, they more focus on the cocktail bar. They don't want to sponsor any flare competition anymore. For myself, I'm very lucky. I'm travel around to judge for the flare competitions. I can tell you the flare bartender make as good cocktail as the cocktail bartender. Currently, uh, it's because it's lack of competition. We slowly lost the talent in Singapore. It's quite sad, right? Because quite sad. yes, quite sad. Yeah. As as we're developing this more refined, high class bartending and cocktail mm-hmm. scene, there's also I, this very I, special part of our history. I, I also believe the the reason for the decline of flaring in a bar or basically throwing bottles and juggling is because people rarely tip anymore nowadays. You know, back mm. then, right, right, right. we were working yeah. for tip. Mm-hmm. We were like throwing bottles like monkeys, you know, just trying to make sure you throw that 10 bucks to us, like form of entertainment at the same time as well as a show off. But these people were humble people, you know, all they want to do is just provide entertainment. So if you like it, you know, if you enjoy it, give us a bit of tip. Essentially, in the history of the cocktail scene, the scene hit critical mass when a couple of places opened up. So there was Cuffling Club, Library, Jigger and Pony, 28 Hong Kong Street. All of these bars started yeah. opening yeah. up. Michael Callahan, who mm-hmm. is currently running Barbary Co, said when asked, why did he start 28 Hong Kong Street? He said, my partners had been stationed here for a few years and realized that everyone missed the establishments that they had been to in New York and London. So what's really happening is that, you know, Naz and Din, you were talking about people who were probably getting more wealth as Singapore was developing. They were eating better. They were going to nice restaurants because of chefs coming in. And a lot of these people, they realized, you know, what goes well with good food is the same kind of bars that they used to go to in some of these big cities in the U.S. and in Europe. So a lot of these people started setting up bars. And 28 Hong Kong Street was one such bar. It's a speakeasy that championed 
American West Coast style of cocktail bartending. Oh, now, yeah. at the same time, there was bar stories, which Din also was involved in, right? And this was about cocktail ordering made approachable by doing bespoke drinks based on guest preferences. So uh, once again, Din, tell us the story of bar stories. I started because Leslie, one of my colleague in Clay, set up a place don't have any bus stuff. So he asked me to help. I will clean Japan and help. So we find out there, we want to do actually totally different from clay. Clay is 2% only garnish, but in uh, bus stories, we want to do 90% garnish, 10% we do garnish. So, so complete to, flip. So uh, during that time also, is when Instagram started in 2010. So we believe it's, that's the right time to start off this and ask our friends to share all the photos that we have. Because for us, it's social media is very, very important. You see, when they take photo, they share that start to happen. Then we come out those like, uh, you know, cream boule cocktails, the cocktail with birthday candles, all these things. As long as we have a gimmick, we don't care. We're not selling cheap there. We're selling about 24 to $28 per cocktail. It's a small sitting place. can sit about 20 people. So starting from there onwards, uh, we are happy. Then I work for a few times. We decide to move on, you know, to do something else, you know, because we still stick to this. That's where the young generation come in. We share our patient. We share with them what we know. Then they start to do their own style in Barcelona. There's almost like a personal touch, right, to this is what you're doing. You're trying to really connect the drinks with the people. Yes, uh, correct opening this whole idea of it being approachable, especially because... Yes, correct. That's interesting. Uh, that's the reason that uh, when we set up a bar in Clay and uh, Bar Stories, right? if you can see the bar, actually the customers sit higher than us. There's always a step down. So our eye level and the customer when sitting down, the eye to eye is on par. But oh. now there's some of the bar that you can see, can see that when you sit down, the bartender look like a giant, but they never talk to you. Right, right, right. Scared you out, you know? That's amazing. I mean, like the philosophy and the thought behind why, how, and how you want to build the bar culture. Yes, I can see right, it's yes. very, it's very thoughtful. And yep. to, I never, I never knew these things. You know, like now that you explain it, of course, like wow, it makes so much sense. Yeah. But for you to come out of it, I think that is really making a mark. Like you're really making a statement to say this is important and it should be a part of who we are. Uh, yes. I think that's wonderful. Indra Cantano, who is in charge of the Jigger Group, calls the perfect cocktail of factors that propelled the Singapore scene onto the global stage. So there were a couple of things. There was a deep and diverse pool of talent. So you had both imported talent from all the different bars around the world. And of course, homegrown talent like Din himself and, and Naz that pushed each other competitively to really improve the cocktail scene and to provide really a better hospitality experience. I'm just hearing all of that in in terms of how they designed the bar experience, right? More guests were traveling to Singapore. People in Singapore were also going overseas and they wanted to come back to something better. And so there was a lot of open-mindedness. And then finally, there was the Singapore Cocktail Festival, which started in 2015, which really hightailed the chemical reaction for the Singapore cocktail scene to become world-renowned. The Asia's 50 Best Bars list was established in 2016. And the debut year, there were nine bars in Singapore that were on that list. So, you know, Singapore really catapulted onto the world stage in the cocktail scene uh, very quickly after all these bars opened up. And there was a lot of different people in their own ways trying to do something cool that really helped. And I thought that was a very exciting stage. At that point in time, what was it like just seeing the cocktail scene and the bartending scene really just become so much more world-renowned so quickly? Actually, I'm very fortunate enough for India Open Jira and Pony, the first one. And I'm also, he invited me to his house to taste the cocktail. Some of other countries, they can also be as good as Singapore, you see. But what they lack is foreign talent. If you want to become a capital of cocktails, you have to have everything in a package. The first thing that we 
here have in Singapore is humility, which we want to learn and absorb. You know, we don't get cocky that, oh, you know what, we are the best at this. You know, so we we learn a lot from everywhere around the world. To be honest, Bar Stories was a hit of its time. Like when Dean opened it and when, when, when he was there, like it broke every rule of cocktail making, you know, and no one in the industry dared to to say, no, this is bullshit. This is like, who, why would you charge this kind of money just garnish all over that? But people are so receptive and that's one of the things. Everyone is so humble here that is willing to, to learn from everyone else. Same time as well, I also feel like the ones that open up the bar, the bars here, like 28 Hong Kong Street, Jigger and Pony, Bar Stories, all these places, they are run by bartenders themselves. You know, bartenders, they are not money driven. You know what I mean? Like they are a little bit, but they are not, most of the bars and clubs back in the days were opened by like, you know, the investors were like traders, bankers, you know, people in the oil and gas and all that. But when you have bars that are truly opened by bartenders themselves, all they want to do is just make the customers happy, make sincere drinks, you know, it's like your hawker stall. Mm. You just want to cook good food. But for the craft as well, right? I mean, these exactly. people were interested in making something unique and different. Right. So I think that's great. That's great. So you actually have like a balance of like, not just like good drinks, you know, but also good service. A lot of people forget that, you know, the guys from 28 were all bartenders themselves. Jigger and Pony as well from Goyi, you know, they all were doing competitions as well. Aki. So, these guys, they really run the show and even Bar Stories is still run by bartenders, owned by bartenders, they're you know, native. <laughs> and, and these are the places that will last. Bartenders want to work with other bartenders as well as their boss, you know, because then they will understand. Uh, Roving and I, we've been doing a lot of these episodes on different topics, not just bartending, but like different kinds of businesses in Singapore. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that stands out true is that when you are doing it because it's your passion, so these bartenders who started businesses, when it's mm-hmm. your passion, there's something different, right, about the energy that you give in creating this thing. No matter where it is, and Singaporeans, right, we love a good underdog story, man. All right. <laughs> we, we, we really love it when <laughs> some guy out of nowhere really sticks it to the system and is like, okay, and yeah. they made it. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a wonderful feeling. This history is charged with passionate community, passionate people who've come together to create something which, uh, you know, where we are today. I think that's absolutely amazing. Singapore has had a very interesting relationship with nightlife. And when I say Singapore, I really just mean the political and government because for a long time, the idea was to control nightlife and to manage mm-hmm. it and to there's a vice tax and all of this, which yeah. a lot of countries do. But it was very interesting when STB decided to set up Singapore Cocktail Week because they were basically saying, actually, you know what? We love our cocktail scene. Uh, we love the fact that there's so many bartenders. They signed a three-year partnership with William Reed Business Media, which owns the 50 best brand to really anchor the event in Singapore. And it was basically saying, okay, we're going to pivot. Uh, We're going to say nightlife is what makes Singapore special because we want to bring in talent. We want to bring in businesses. And and Mm -hmm. a a big part of that is a vibrant nightlife sector so that people can have fun and enjoy. I love that we are starting to appreciate all the good work that you guys are doing and people in the cocktail scene are doing. But I think there's a very real question here. I'm going to pivot a bit away from history and into what is the current scene. What is it like to be a bartender in Singapore, right? So... Maybe first of all, we've used a couple of different terms. So there's mixologist, bartender, bar owner, brand ambassador. What are all these different terms and what's the difference? Bartender is more about tending the drinks. Uh, bartender is a name that we've given to all the person behind the bar. Mixologist is something new. Uh, when I set up a Fullerton Bay Hotel in 2010, 
they give me the title of head mixologist. Oh, I say okay. Uh, how much is the pay? But during that time, I was pay about four thousand five. I say fair enough. You can call me a head bartender four point five. I will take it. I said. Then there's a name called mixologist. They believe that someone that created a cocktails. Then brand ambassador is come to the same. Brand ambassador is used to brand ambassador is only do educations, share the stories, doing a guest bartending. But now brand ambassador, you have to do everything basically. <laughs> you have to do the sales. You have to become the face. You have to travel, do training, guest mixology, everything. Bar yeah. owner is also is nowadays is become everything. Last time bar owner, you come, you enjoy your friends. Now no, now your friends come, you talk to your friends. Without your friends, you go and serve drinks. Wow, yes, wow. it's different. Everything have to, everything have been changed. When you start to make your hand dirty, you will learn more things. It sounds like there's a whole ecosystem. You have the mixologist who does like the design, the concept. Yes, the bartender yeah. who's the executor, the operational person, the bar owner who is like management, right? But also needs to be on the ground, yes. and then brand ambassador who's education yep. and sales. So very interesting stuff. But here's the question, right? Is there a career? In the cocktail scene, can you can someone expect to build a career and to retire happily by deciding to do what you guys are doing? Because I assume that beyond the passion, you guys need to bring home a paycheck. You need to feed yourselves, feed your loved ones. How is it like? Wow. Okay. For me, it's very simple. Okay, this career path has its temptations as well. You know, there's a dark side to this job. There's a lot of alcohol. You know, there's a lot of ego as well. Going around at night, drinking is not cheap here in Singapore. People do get paid quite a bit of money doing this job. I I seen the numbers that some people get paid. You know, basically like bartenders, like they start off here on a good bar. You know, they can start at like three thousand, you know, a month, and then up to like I've seen people getting paid like twelve grand a month. You know, okay, uh, yeah, being the head bartender of a place. But that's the thing. If you do not know how to control, like just like any job, right? But this job is a lot. Harder to control because when you finish at one a.m., where do you want to go? It's either you want to go get booze or you want to go to like a bad place, you know. And mm. it adds up though; it adds up to like a lot of money. So it's a very good career choice if you know what your path is. If you can control this lifestyle, I've seen people crash and burn in this industry where they were good one minute and then the next minute they just forgotten, you know, just because of the path that they. And I'm saying there's a lot of things for you to learn. A lot of humility you need to have because one day you'll be on top, and then next week you know suddenly like things just don't go your way. Everybody is given an equal opportunity, I think here, which is a good thing. I see from from my point of view, there's no discrimination against like your background, you know, where you come from, your ethnicity, or the demographics, or the kind of uh, cards you are dealt. As long as you work hard, I see people becoming like the best of the best. We don't prefer a certain nationality or something. So I say it's a very good career. Your parents might not like it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is easy. Once you can go go through the, the 14-hour days and, you know, no weekends. Imagine I haven't had a weekend in 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, that can, that, how, how does that affect your social life and stuff? I'm still single. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to have a family and, and have kids, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why I say you can get lost in the lifestyle. And if you are that kind of person that normalcy is important for you, it'd be very hard for you to, to have a normal life. It's really on the fringes of like what society normally yeah. asks. But it is, to be it in, is right? very accepted now, I think. Considered like back in the days, if I think Dean would agree with me that 
if you say you're a bartender, you know, everybody won't accept you. And it's, it's no longer that way. It's, it's a real career path. I share a bit, right? Uh, yeah. For this, in this career, right? I just think that one thing that people have to understand, right? They have to have a fire's plan. I always believe in that. Mm-hmm. Fire's plan for bartender to become a bar captain. Fire's plan to become bar supervisor. Fire's plan to become beverage manager. As long as you work hard and your discipline is very good, it should be achieved. If you can't achieve, that means you have to find some other jobs. So. Just like any other job, yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. So yeah. uh, I also share with them, right? Every month, right? Just need about $50 to put aside just to buy a cocktail book. In one year, you got a 12 cocktail book, which mm-hmm. actually that, uh, no bartender want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, uh, and now said about the working is true. You work 14, uh, 14 hours a day, right? But in one year, you got about 12 to 15 days leave. If you mm-hmm. can take your off day, come to Sunday, at least one year, you can travel three or four times. You need to yeah, yeah. yeah, you need to travel to see what other countries do, not just to relax your mind without any laptop. No? It sounds like just like any other job. This job is totally different. You need to invest more oh. on your drinking, invest more on your liver. <laughs> yeah, putting your body on the line. Yeah, but, you know. I'm glad to hear that you can have a career in this scene because yes, it sounds can. like there's a lot of exciting stuff happening and it would be mm. really sad if people couldn't really build their careers here. What's the future of the cocktail scene going to look like? Saw some really interesting stuff online. Bars are shifting away from more conventional type menus to those that involve storytelling, progressive cocktails, and multi-sensory drinks. So there's a, a little more like snap, crackle, pop. A lot more sensations are happening. Callahan, so from 28 Hong Kong Street, attributes it to two things boredom and showmanship. So boredom, because you already know your basic techniques. Let's see what else you have. And then showmanship is about the storytelling, bringing the guests into an experience. So from your perspective, you know, what's the future going to look like for the cocktail scene in Singapore? How do we become uniquely Singaporean in that way? It will keep on changing, you see, the concept right now, right? If you can see, Espresso Martini is doing good, Milk Punch is doing good, uh, tea, tea cocktail coming up soon, gin slow down, vodka no more, tequila coming up, cognac no more, rum coming up. So it's everywhere. So I believe in next year, the cocktail scheme will be more colorful, mm. more disco era. Because already for past two years, all the cocktail that you can see, all white color. All <laughs> clarified already. Yeah. <laughs> all color. So in this next year, they will need something different. You see, they need some colors in life. I think for me, for the future, for me actually, this is not what I think is going to be the future of the scene but I want what I want from the future is yeah. so we, we've had everything another reason why I'm working with this brand called Malati is because I'm going into this like fitness and health thing like drinking responsibly and, and you know being vegan and try not to like eat as much meat as we can this is my vision of it is that I want I want things to be a little bit more ethical, I guess, you know, we can have a bit more organic stuff. This product basically is a zero alcohol beverage. It's made locally as well. It's a, it's a local product. I want to make a trend or at least like I, I want to see a trend where there's low calorie, basically like cocktails out there, you know, like a hundred calorie cocktail or something. So at least you won't feel guilty when you go out yeah. and, and you have drinks with others. It might, it, it can have the same effect. But at least uh, it will taste good. Importantly for me, it will get you crunk. La. There's a few bars like Dragon Chamber, I think did like a few low calorie cocktails, and, which I don't mind. You know, I think fitness will be, for me, is, is important in the future because I'm getting older as well. Cannot be drinking so much sugar. Hangovers mm. are a lot longer right now for me. Though. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. I, yeah. I, I, I understand that. <laughs> well, th- thanks so much for sharing 
your hopes for the future as well as you know just your life experience and your insights into the scene uh, we definitely would not have been able to have any of this just from online research so mm-hmm. din and nas thank you so much for you know just being candid and being so friendly on the show we really thank enjoyed you so much, having nice. you yeah. hopefully yeah, we so- can share drinks together then Yes, hey, yes, yes, yes please. I think that sounds like the only plan. <laughs> Before we leave, you know, do you want to say anything to the audience? My message is like during this time, please be patient with all the bars and all that. It is going to be very difficult to serve everyone. I want to make sure that the intent is still little that to make people enjoy their experiences and and enjoy their drinks and at the same time as well there are businesses that are going under really quick not because of like bad strategies on them it's just because of the pandemic itself you know so it's not their fault and if we can support them in any way it really helps us a lot i mean help the industry a lot if you still love your your favorite bar and you still love the people working there just come and show a bit of support that's it I want to say that hope this covid nighting's over soon so we can have a drink one plus or two and have a good sunday <laughs> i want to again thank you for coming on the show i hope you have a great sunday up ahead thank you thank you